Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 587. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers. And to the farms that grow those blooms, it's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. And thank you to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of American consumers. Learn more at CAFGS.org. Well, today I want to share a bonus episode with you, an updated lecture originally created for the Frisia Summit held online in September of 2022. Frisia is an acronym for Florist Recognizing Environmental and Eco-Sustainable Ideas and Applications, and the conference was produced by Hitomi Gilliam and Colm Gilliam. So my presentation was called Walking the Talk, and I'm going to talk about that in today's episode. I examine our slow flowers values and concepts, and I discuss how our members are putting them into practice. In this episode, I'll introduce you to several Slow Flower Society members and highlight their stories. You can have all the theory you want, but implementing these values is what will help you build a sustainable brand for your business. Let me say that again. Building a sustainable brand for your business means walking the talk. You can watch the slideshow that accompanies this lecture in our show notes for episode 587 at slowflowerspodcast.com. And I'll also share some of the links I mentioned in the talk, as well as a PDF of the graphics that you can download. I first started writing about the concept of slow flowers more than a decade ago, coining the phrase slow flowers as a way to describe the values of slow, seasonal, and domestic flowers. We define the term slow flowers and what it reflects as a cultural shift this way a movement that encourages consumers to purchase locally grown flowers and connects them with the source of their flowers from the flower farmer to the floral designer. During one of the open chat sessions during the Frisia Summit, an audience member commented, we have to find a network of like-minded professionals to gather together and support our work. And I had to pause and say, that's what the Slow Flowers Society is. That's our laser-focused mission. Specifically, the Slow Flowers Movement has two audiences. We have the floral industry and we have consumers. And really, our message is constantly talking about the benefits of local, seasonal, and domestic flowers. And we want to influence floral buying practices in both groups. Some people say, well, is it mainstream yet? And according to Keyhole, a social media tracker, 
In a recent 365-day period, the hashtag SlowFlowers created 67 million social media impressions. That's in one year. The term is now being used worldwide to communicate and convey sustainability. Our members use the SlowFlowers affiliation to elevate and amplify their branding and marketing. They use it to telegraph to their customers and their clients what they're all about and their values. An important model for the slow flowers movement is the slow food movement. Many of you know about Slow Food, that phenomenal organization founded in 1986 by Carlo Petrini in Italy as an organization that promotes local food and traditional cooking. And really just back to the origins of your source of food sort of no packaged foods. (laughs) Slow food was an anti-fast food response to what was happening in the culinary world. So we took a similar inspiration to shine a light on what has happened over the past three decades in the floral marketplace of flowers becoming a commodity. Yes, I blatantly borrowed the adjective slow and added the word flowers to it. Slow food had a manifesto, and so I thought it only fitting if Slow Flowers has one, too. I wrote ours in 2017 as a call to action and to help our members define the spirit of their work and their own mission. So let's talk about the six values that are featured in the Slow Flowers manifesto, and I'll break them down by theme and share a little bit about what our members are doing to reflect those values. Our first value is to recognize and respect the seasons by celebrating and designing with flowers when they naturally bloom. As a guiding principle, we are influenced by what we see in the slow food movement, again, where people are saying to really celebrate flavor and the best food available is to eat it in season. The strawberry's lack of flavor in January is a frequently given example, but if you get it right off the vine or right off the plant in the middle of summer, there's nothing more pure as the essence of season in your mouth. Similarly, we see this in the floral world. I think the idea of seasonality is universal and relatable to gardeners, and it certainly makes sense to me since I come out out of horticulture and long-time garden writing. During the pandemic, we saw something like 23 million new people enter gardening during the shutdown. So having conversations about seasonality is important because people understand that they need to connect to nature and they observe the cycles of nature more than ever. The phrase slow flowers first appears in my books. I wrote The 50 Mile Bouquet, and it was published in 2012. And I used the phrase slow flowers throughout that book, kind of as a shorthand to explain to people what the topic was all about. The following year, in 2013, I wrote a follow-up book called Slow Flowers, in which I set out to create one bouquet each week from my cutting garden in Seattle using what grew there in that season. It was an experiment to say, you know what, there's a dormant season in winter, it's quieter, my design palette includes twigs and conifers, and I asked myself, can I create an arrangement as aesthetically pleasing as an expression of the current season with as much excitement as I might do during the peak of summer when everything's exploding in bloom? The Slow Flowers book stimulated wonderful responses. There was a Slow Flowers challenge in 2014 that started when one of my readers began using the hashtag, the Slow Flowers Challenge, and sharing it on her social media, asking other gardeners to join her in doing the same thing I had done. Inspired by her effort, we took it upon ourselves to create an opportunity for everybody to post and share images of their seasonal garden-inspired arrangements. Flower lovers, gardeners, and florists joined to create an arrangement every week, posting and sharing. And this movement really exploded. 
While I was out presenting lectures and presentations at flower shows, garden clubs, and other venues, I heard from audience members who said to me, okay, Deborah, we, I've drunk the Kool-Aid. I believe in what you're talking about. But how do I find farmers and florists who are sourcing locally and who I can buy from? I was asked the same question by my peers in the media who were interested in the renaissance that was taking place in our floral marketplace. In response, I launched slowflowers.com in 2014 and began to use the platform to highlight our members as sources for local flowers as an online directory. Flower farmers and florists joined slowflowers.com very early on to be part of the movement. For example, farmer florist Beth Cyphers of Salem, Oregon-based Crowley House Flower Farm joined as a member, and she's still a member. Beth uses her association to promote the unique garden roses and other amazing crops her farm grows for the floral trade. I was so fortunate at the very beginning of this journey to partner with local flower farmers in the Pacific Northwest, including those who formed the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market in 2011, including Crowley House Flower Farm. I like to say I was their embedded journalist. The farmers of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market are focused on bringing premium couture flowers to the florists of this region. They have differentiated local flowers from imported flowers and commercially grown flowers. I attribute the secret of their success to specializing in flowers that can't be shipped or that only bloom for a short period of time, like the beautiful lilacs which are grown at Jello Mold Farm in Washington's Skagit Valley. As it turns out, Jello Mold their old friends. Jello Mold is pictured on the cover of the 50 Mile Bouquet. And you recently heard owners Diane Sukavati and Dennis Westfall on this podcast. As a storyteller, by partnering with the growers market and its farmers, I focused more people's attention on the locality of flowers and the beauty and unique qualities of local flowers. The natural evolution of interviewing flower farmers led to connections with their customers, florists, like Melissa Fevier of Terra Bella Flowers based in Seattle. Melissa highlights seasonal flowers in her shop, and she educates her customers about her farm sources as part of her branding. She posts on Instagram saying support local flowers and showing those flowers in all seasons. In fact, Melissa was a founding member of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, the only florist to join with the growers in launching the cooperative. These actions inspired other area florists. Tammy Myers of First in Bloom, also in the Seattle area, specializes in locally grown and American grown everyday flowers. She's rebranding for 2023 with the phrase ecoflorist as a tagline, and after nine years in business, her mission hasn't changed. Melissa and Tammy are among 850 florists and flower farmers, farmer florists, retailers, wholesalers, and designers who are Slow Flower Society practitioners. Clearly, we all can see the benefits of supporting local flowers, our first mandate. These concepts inform value number two of our manifesto, which is really all about the transportation footprint. In the past decade, especially, as our community of flower farmers and floral designers, consumers and floral enthusiasts gains momentum, we are seeing people who view their floral purchases in the same way that they spend their food dollars, with the goal of sourcing flowers as close to home as possible. In North America, that's obviously a challenge because many areas have winter weather conditions. And that's where we uh, get creative and rely on flowers from warmer states like Hawaii, Florida, California, Oregon, and Washington. But local is clearly the value that segues into this issue of the flower transportation conversation. We wanted to know consumer attitudes about the correlation between where their flowers are grown and how 
they are purchased. There hasn't been a baseline understanding of consumer attitudes and behaviors for a long time in terms of understanding their concerns about local. In 2021, we partnered with the National Gardening Association and their annual National Garden Survey, which conducts a scientifically accurate survey of 2,500 households across the U.S., asking questions about lawn and garden trends and purchases and behaviors. For the past two years, we've asked, how important is it to you that the flowers you purchase are locally grown? In 2022, 65% of respondents said it is very or somewhat important, and that's up from 58% in 2021. This is very encouraging, and we're going to keep asking this question and measuring how the trend line is going. We also asked a second question, how important is it to you to buy U.S. grown cut flowers? The response was not quite as high as the question about local, but it is still impressive with 61% of respondents saying it is very or somewhat important that their flowers are American grown. That's up from 57% in 2021. The National Gardening Survey is consumer-focused, which is why we also survey Slow Flowers members every year on issues and concerns that relate to their businesses. As I mentioned earlier, our members include flower farmers, florists, studio florists, wedding and event florists, retail florists, and also people that define themselves as farmer florists, as well as wholesalers and suppliers. This past year, we asked, what type of local support are you currently experiencing? 89% of our respondents said that more customers are interested in their floral enterprise because it's local. 45% said more customers are requesting locally grown flowers for their designs. So that's very affirming. And we're asking that question again for 2023. Let's talk about some of the things that we're seeing in the context of the transportation footprint. The old-fashioned original dictionary definition of florist is one who is in the business of raising or selling flowers and ornamental plants. It's a concept that's having such a comeback because of the slow flowers movement and interest in locally grown flowers. So we asked our members, what percentage of the flowers used in your designs do you grow yourself? A very large percentage, 55%, said that they are growing 76 to 100% of the flowers used in their designs, so three quarters or more. Only about 10% of our respondents said that they don't grow any of their flowers. As an extension, we asked, how important is it to you and your business to purchase U.S.-made products for use in your floral designs? This question relates more to the whole issue of hard goods and accessories. A year ago, we hadn't quite felt the pinch of the supply chain issues, but now we're seeing an increased focus on how to counter that. Things like reusing bases, recycling, repurposing. A lot of innovation is taking place in fighting supply chain challenges. I just wanted to mention one interesting example of this way to address supply shortages. Tammy Myers of First in Bloom, who I mentioned in the first section, recently partnered with an organization here in Seattle called Ridwell. Ridwell is a private recycling company that takes items that municipalities don't have recycling methods for, including things like light bulbs and batteries and plastic bags. Tammy created a pilot project with Ridwell to recycle glass vases that homeowners have collected, probably stored under in their cupboards or under their sinks. I believe they ran this project just in two neighborhoods, and the response was overwhelming. Tammy has created a vase collection of these recycled vessels by shape and size, from bud vases to centerpiece sizes, and now sells them at an affordable rate to cover her costs to, local, to help local florists who need a regular quantity of vases and who've had trouble sourcing them. We'll be following this story as it unfolds, and it's encouraging to see how one person has diverted used glass from landfills just with this effort. 
To understand local further, we wanted to explore flower sourcing, and that goes back to the farm and the wholesaler. What does local mean? Some of the things that people would consider local include growing your own cutting garden, wild gathering, buying farm direct, or ordering from a farm one or two states away, or shopping for certified American-grown flowers. I like to describe it as the pebble-in-the-pond approach, with the goal of sourcing as close to home as possible and moving outward from there. When I wrote the 50-mile bouquet, I was very much inspired by the food mile, so I started my own flower mile through my cutting garden. I like to call it the five-step bouquet because that garden is right outside my back door. Major wholesalers are responding to florist requests for local and American-grown flowers, like a poster that Mayesh Wholesale Florist hangs in their Portland branch, which reads, Mayesh is proud to offer local and American-grown product, and they've used this graphic on some of their sponsorship branding with Slow Flowers. We know, good or bad, that grocery accounts for 50% of all floral sales, and grocery customers want locally grown flowers. But not all grocery stores put a priority on supplying domestic or local flowers. We're thrilled that Town & Country Markets, a family-owned grocery chain in the Seattle area with six stores, are Slow Flowers members. Every year, Town & Country produces a special floral department uh, promotion during American Flowers Week to highlight the local flower farms that they buy from, which, of course, we love to see. Whole Foods, certainly before their Amazon ownership, and even now, region by region, partners with local farmers. Our members, Chet and Christy Anderson of the Fresh Herb Company in Boulder, Colorado, for example, supply all of the Whole Foods branches in the Rocky Mountain region. Their program is so big, they're delivering flowers just to the Whole Foods Distribution Center, which then supplies something like 12 stores across the Rocky Mountain region. Individual Whole Foods stores also partner with growers to bring hyper-local flowers to their customers. For example, the Williams family of Wilmore Farms in Metter, Georgia, supplies the Whole Foods outlet in Savannah, Georgia. They support Wilmore Farms with in-store signage at the point of purchase and on bunches and bouquet labels. I encourage people to define local on their own terms. If you put in the work, you can find local flowers everywhere. Yet local is such an elusive term. We researched whether there was a U.S. government definition of local and found this. The USDA's Consolidated Farm and Rural Development Act defines local as a maximum 400-mile distance between where a product is produced and where it is consumed, or in the state in which the product is produced, which relates to large or small states. So let's take a sponsor break and thank our next sponsor, Storic Cold, creators of the revolutionary Coolbot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. Save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the Coolbot and an air conditioner unit. If you don't have time to build your own, they also have turnkey units available. Learn more at storeitcold.com. Okay, let's talk about value number three, to support flower farmers, small and large, by crediting them, when possible, through proper labeling at the wholesale and consumer level. When we see florists including local messaging into their branding, we know it captures the imagination of customers who care about how their money is spent. By supporting farmers, small and large, when we credit them, it helps everyone who is in the business of selling domestic and local flowers. This is very much about transparency in labeling. When people join Slow Flower Society as a member, we say to them, you don't have to be 100% local or domestic in your sourcing. You just have to be willing to be transparent with consumers. If someone asks for local flowers in a particular category, for example, and you can't supply it because you only have imported options, you just have to be honest and tell them. 
Through education, we're encouraging flower farmers to develop relationships or partnerships with wholesalers. With strong farmers, with an increase in flower farming as a viable economic enterprise in agriculture, the equation benefits us all. There's been a huge explosion of regional wholesale models, including collectives, cooperatives, and other marketing networks. Inspired by the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, regional hubs are popping up across North America as farmers open their own wholesale operations to sell direct to florists. Every single week, I receive an inquiry from somebody who wants resources on how to start their own collective in the region, in their region, perhaps with as few as three flower farmers coming together with a central location to sell their product. You can learn more in the webinar that we produced with Johnny Seeds in 2021 called Producer Co-ops for Small-Scale Farms, which is available for free to watch on their website, and you can find a link in today's show notes. There are also new online selling platforms emerging to help flower farmers with technology. Gather Flora is out of the West Coast in California. Rooted Farmers is based out of the East Coast. Each of these models has their own unique proprietary software created by people who saw a need for a platform that allows farmers to upload their inventory and make it easy for florists to shop from multiple farms at once. So this is a real connection, a missing link. When I started slowflowers.com, I envisioned that slowflowers.com <laughs> would be a tool to help consumers and florists find flower farmers. But I'm not an e-commerce expert, and I never wanted to do transactions through the site. So I really applaud these groups that are coming together to solve that pain point to help flower farmers sell their product professionally to florists. I mentioned earlier that the benefit to florists who base their brands on local sourcing is immense. And here's just one florist I wanted to highlight. Pilar Zuniga is based in the Oakland area. Her studio is called Gorgeous and Green, and her online store prominently offers local flowers as a product option. Not only do I think this is really important, we also often see florists who feature their farm sources on their blogs, Instagram feeds, or on their websites. For example, Grace Flowers Hawaii on the Big Island, owned by Allison Higgins, recently posted a story about one of their favorite farms, Daisy Duke's Farm, which is one of their local flower sources. We'd love to see that, too. These are just simple things anybody can do in terms of educating their customers about their values. Hometown Flower Company, our member based on Long Island, is another example. Owner Jacqueline Rotigliano is a third-generation florist whose family were conventional florists. She has reimagined a new model for floristry, saying, I want to focus on local. One of the ways Hometown Flower Company communicates this brand at attribute is through a map of Long Island on their website that shows exactly where the flower farms and partners are located all along the island. It's really fun to see this map and realize that one little business is supporting a lot of flower farmers. Back to our Slow Flowers member surveys, we captured florists' increasing desire to go to the source, which is completely disrupting how flowers are sold. We ask our members, what percentage of your cut flower purchases come through farm direct channels? Almost 40% report that it's over three quarters of their purchasing practice, 76 to 100% of how they buy flowers. I wanted to comment that this trending pattern is exactly one of the reasons why wholesalers are ramping up their focus on locally sourced flowers within their branches, using signage and labeling to telegraph that they too are working with local farms. In the last year's member survey, we also asked, if you purchase from conventional wholesale florists, are you finding more American-grown and local options than in the past? And 70% of our respondents said yes. So I think that's just something that we're going to see more of across the board an encouraging trend line. 
Okay, value number four, to encourage sustainable and organic farming practices that respect people and the environment. You can see a great example of this value on the homepage of La Mera Gardens in Ashland, Oregon. Joan Thorndike has operated La Mera Gardens for more than 30 years. Long before Slow Flowers was even a term, Joan sought organic certification. She says, as a mother who always had her children on the farm with her, she wanted her children to be safe, but she also wanted her florists and their children to be safe and their consumers to be safe. We discussed florists who feature the farms they source from as a way to inform their customers. Well, Joan has flipped it around, and on La Mera Garden's website, she lists the florists who carry her flowers. Joan wants people to know, here are the florists who buy their flowers from our farm. Please go and patronize them. I love this reciprocity. In terms of sustainability, there are many definitions, but one widely used example is a definition from the United Nations, meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. So what does this mean in the floral trade? I love a little sign I found years ago on the counter of a flower shop in Portland that reads, we compost all floral cuttings. It's just a simple sign that goes a long way to communicate sustainability. That particular florist was located next to a farm-to-table restaurant, which made a big deal about composting their food waste. So she felt she wanted to get in on the act and share her practices with her customers. It was a small but smart gesture. Kelsey Ruland of Foxbound Flowers in Eugene, Oregon, recently shared that she weighs her flower waste each week before putting it into the municipal compost collection. She's trying to document over the course of a year how much flower waste she's composting at her shop, which is an extra step. Clearly, it takes work and intentionality to be sustainable, but letting your marketplace know what you're doing is important. One of the best ways to teach the values of sustainable flowers takes place when consumers and florists can step onto a flower farm. We did a report for Johnny Seeds featuring the ways that farmers are staging on-farm events as education, marketing, and community building. I'll share a link to that story in the show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com for this episode, 587. You'll want to check it out. Staging open houses or farm tours clearly nurtures organic in-person connections between consumers and local flowers. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, especially before COVID, regularly held open days at their member farms. Usually on a Sunday, families were invited for a day of festivities, and a lot of florists came for the country experience and to see where their flowers, the flowers they buy, week in and week out, were grown. There are a few other sustainable themes I'd like to discuss. As a home gardener who is 100% organic in my own backyard, I understand sustainable farming practices. While I don't plant cover crops per se, there are some practices I emulate, such as rotating my planting areas and harvesting rainwater. Not all flower farmers can achieve a USDA organic certification. There are other third-party designations that evaluate sustainable practices, though such as the Certified Naturally Grown Program, which is a peer-to-peer farmer evaluation that was formed because of all the rigor and difficulty of becoming certified through the USDA. In the Pacific Northwest, we see farms seeking salmon-safe certification. This is a label seen on Oregon and Washington wines as a way to telegraph uh, to consumers that vineyard farming practices have been designated to be safe for salmon habitat. The flower farmers at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market have gone through this evaluation, and they view it as another way to communicate to consumers that they're serious about their safe practices. 
And farms also work directly with their customers. Jellamold Farm, which I've mentioned earlier, has hosted floral departments from local grocery stores so that the staff gain product knowledge and education about where those flowers come from. And David Brunton, the owner of Wrightfield Farm in Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., he and his family each week send an email to their CSA customers. The email tells everybody what's happening on this small family farm, what they're growing, something unique about a particular variety that's available, and where people can buy their flowers at the local natural grocery store. It's highly personalized communication that nurtures authentic connections between people and flowers. We added value five in 2020. This was an important action in response to our desire to proactively pursue equity, inclusion, and representation in the floral marketplace with as much support as we give to environmental sustainability. Personally, I was inspired by one of my mentors, a black horticultural professional and friend who I know through the gardening industry. She pointed out that the missing component of sustainability so often overlooks human sustainability. We believe that supporting environmental sustainability is only part of the equation. We have to show that we care as much about representation, inclusion, and equity in the floral industry as we do our environmental choices. Slow Flowers is committed to expanding our inclusion, representation, and diversity, including through our partnership with Bloom Imprint, which is our book publishing venture owned with Robin Avni. Earlier in 2022, Bloom Imprint published Black Flora by Teresa J. Spate, which features top black flower farmers and florists across the U.S. Black Flora amplifies the voices of not only floriculture professionals, but agricultural and horticultural professionals. Why is it important to feature black florists and flower farmers? Well, when young and emerging floral professionals see someone who looks like them practicing professionally, it sends an important message about the values that we have and that there's a place for them in this profession. Among the many other inspiring floral entrepreneurs in the book, you'll want to meet Dee Hall of Mermaid City Flower Farm in Norfolk, Virginia. Dee started Black Flower Farmers last year as a community group for specialty cut flower growers across the U.S., and Slow Flowers wants to support the expansion of this farming group. Flower farmer Asha Lurie owns Patagonia Flower Farm, and she is both a Slow Flowers member as well as active in the Black Flower Farmers group. Asha has created an incredibly vibrant local business in a market that honestly never had local flowers before in the Tucson, Arizona area. So she's changing people's definition of what's local, and she represents. When you see that she's growing lysianthus and tulips in the high desert, it's kind of mind-blowing, and I consider Asha a real leader in the industry. By supporting black floral professionals and other people of color in the floral industry, we all benefit from connections and shared values. One leader is Valerie Cusostomo, an Atlanta-based wedding and event florist. Valerie started Black Girl Florists in 2020 as an organization much like Slow Flowers, a network, a network of black florists across the U.S. They become a real important resource for each other and to share a unified voice in the profession. Black Girl Florists had their first conference in 2022 and included wedding and event professionals, as well as florists and flower farmers. One of the other groups recently emerging on Instagram is Florists of Color, a feed to be celebrated. It's hosted by Pilar Zuniga of Gorgeous and Green. I mentioned her earlier. A Latina florist, Pilar has expanded representation of all florists of color, including indigenous and Asian and Pacific Islanders, and all black and brown florists and flower farmers through her Instagram account, Florists of Color. 
I encourage you all to join me in elevating and promoting representation and justice in the floral marketplace. Let's ensure the growth and sustainability of the people in our profession. Okay, let's wrap up with our last value, value number six, to eliminate waste and the use of chemical products in the floral industry. We just have to look at the media coverage around Queen Elizabeth's recent funeral to see that the topic of floral industry waste is a global issue. I illustrated this point with a story published in September by CBC News in Canada, critiquing the amount of plastic wrapping accumulated from all the bouquets left at Buckingham Palace and other places to commemorate Queen Elizabeth. Perhaps those flower bouquet purchases were good for flower retailers, but the criticism generated by scenes of plastic trash by the container load, it was disheartening, especially since most of that cellophane is not recyclable. One of our members, Becky Feesby of Prairie Girl Flowers, was quoted in the article questioning whether there are other ways that packaging can be changed to reduce the use of single-use plastic. On a positive note, it was encouraging to also read about the flowers in the wreath placed on Queen Elizabeth's coffin and the fact that they came from gardens that were important to both the Queen and to King Charles III. I love this sentence that caught my eyes. At His Majesty's request, this wreath was made in a totally sustainable way in a nest of English moss and oak branches and without the use of floral foam. I think we have Shane Connolly to thank for that influence on King Charles III. Increasingly, people are concerned about single-use plastics in the floral industry. In last year's Slow Flowers member survey, we asked, what percentage of your design work uses alternatives to floral foam? 75% of our respondents said 75 to 100% of their work is foam-free. We also asked our members to identify the foam-free mechanics that they used, and 95% of our respondents identified chicken wire, which of course we know about that. The other top ones were pin frogs, hairpin frogs, Holly Chapel's syndicated um, eggs and cages, chicken wire and moss together, taped grids, and other organic mechanics like branches. Another organization you'll want to check out is the Sustainable Floristry Network, founded by Australian florist Rita Feldman. SFN features several of our Slow Flowers members as ambassadors, including Susan McCleary, Becky Feesby, Pilar Zuniga, and Toby Nelson. Slow Flowers has joined on as an advisor. One of their statements really moved me. It says, We can't wait for the day the Sustainable Floristry Network closes its doors. On that day, floristry will be carbon neutral, non-toxic, and waste-free, with safe and fair conditions for all working in the industry. We'll get there when all sides of floristry come together, creating a system that equally supports our passion, our livelihoods, and the planet. Slow Flowers supports this statement, and Slow Flowers itself is synonymous with local, seasonal, and sustainable and inclusive floristry and flower farming. Since our origins more than a decade ago, we have been advocating, often quietly and often seen as a fringe element in the marketplace, and now it's so gratifying to see what an influence we have brought to the industry, changing the conversation and bringing our values into the mainstream. I think everybody who gardens will find the mental health benefits of growing their own flowers. And when that happens, the floral consumer is enlightened and engaged in sustainable issues that relate to our profession. There's so much more to share, and I hope you'll get more involved, whether you're already a member or if you wish to learn more. As I mentioned, you can see the entire slideshow that accompanied this presentation at slowflowerspodcast.com for episode 587. There, I've also added the slides as a downloaded PDF.
Our final thank you goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor, downloaded more than 900,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show or our long-running podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowerssociety.com and you'll find the link to join us as a member. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I look forward to seeing you then. Music.